This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. This is like an old school big interview, Rog, nice. that we've got coming up. It's, you know, the kind of content that we've been doing on Offscript for, for quite a while. Um, and I had the opportunity to catch up with Lynn Cox. Now, it may not be a name that you're familiar with on the surface, but she is a legendary long-distance open-water swimmer. She was the first to swim waters of the Bering Strait in 1987. She held the record twice for the fastest crossing of the English Channel from England to France. That included men and women, by the way. She swam Uh more than a mile in the waters of Antarctica. And back in 1985, she swam around the world in 80 days by swimming about 12 extremely challenging waterways, some that had never been attempted before. I mean, that is just a couple of the highlights. Her accolades are really too many to mention in terms of the first, in terms of the records, um, and just in terms of the sheer kind of challenge, the logistical challenge of some of the the different swims that she did, which were in, in many cases politically charged. If yeah. you think about waters and sort of natural um, boundaries. They don't exist the same way political boundaries do. And she's had to come across that more than once during her swim. Now, you know, I only had so much time with Lynn, so we had to focus on just a few highlights. And I started by asking her how these extreme swims started for her at such a young age. She was just 14 years old when she did her very first long distance swim. It was her longest in her whole career in terms of time in the water. And that was from Catalina Island around the coast of California to the mainland of California. She was with a group of three other kids and they swam through the night. It was a huge adventure. It was so tough. It took us 12 and a half hours and my friends said they never wanted to do a channel swim again (laughs) but for me it was the start of everything I had dreamed as a child to swim across the English Channel so I had swum with them 27 miles because of the currents and tides and with the English Channel it would be about the same distance across so when I was 14 years old I talked to my parents and asked could I try the English Channel when I'm 15 years old and try to set the world record for men and women. And they were supportive of me and they had moved my brother and sisters and me from Manchester, New Hampshire to Long Beach, California area, really Los Alamitos, California, to start training with Don Gambrell, who was the four-time U.S. Olympic coach. And Gambrell saw that I could swim really long distances. And then at the end of a workout, when everyone else was exhausted, I was just starting out pretty much. So he was the one that encouraged me to start doing these long swims. And I wound up entering a race off the coast of California that was a three-mile swim. I entered the women's division, and I wound up winning and coming in third in the men's. This was so exciting to be able to do so well because in the pool, I was sort of by then just an average swimmer. But in the open water, it was just like everything had opened up for me. It's hard to imagine that she was an average swimmer in the pool when she can just casually (laughs) swim at 12 and a half hours. I mean, I can't even conceive of that. What's the longest time you think you could keep going with a swim? I've swum for a mile and a half from yeah. the um, Ironman here. And how tiring is that? And it was, it was so t- I got cramp in the water yeah. and that's a strange feeling. Um, and it took me ages. The, the most of the field left me behind because I'm a terrible swimmer. I think it was, I was in the water for almost an hour. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, it's horrible. Exactly. An hour in the water is hard to imagine, much less 12 and a half, just yeah. at the age of 14 years old. Tom, you enjoy an open water swim? Uh-uh. <laughs> Negative ghost rider in no ways. Got no stamina in the water whatsoever. Uh, I'm good on a flying start. Can't do any tumble rolls, etc. Um, I'll get really, really wrinkly spongy spongy fingers Uh, and that's just after a couple of lengths so I don't know about salt water and I'm scared of sharks so well there is that of course (laughs) (laughs) and especially in the English Channel you've seen the size of the sharks in the English Channel massive yeah she doesn't seem to be scared of sharks she was actually (laughs) what are they the ones that don't bite. Uh, what are they? Basking sharks. Basking, Basking sharks. sharks. I love how Roger's in the studio just with his hands up next to his mouth making a big mouth <laughs> that nobody can mouth. see but us. Like a Wallace and Gromit. Like, what are they? Just opening your mouth in the studio. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, no, she has uh, you know, done certain swims like um, Gibraltar where people do not swim without a shark cage. And she's, she's done it without a shark cage because she said that <sighs> the drag with the shark cage, she didn't feel like she was doing it on her own power. So it didn't feel fair. It didn't feel like a real swim if she was doing it in a shark cage. So I she wouldn't, just, and she said no issues. They were a little bit worried because they were swimming around a lot of squid, which apparently shark enjoy, she said. Um, but she said there were no shark sightings on that particular I, swim. I would not want to rely on my own power if I was in shark infested waters. Seriously. I'd be using all the drag I could get. <laughs> Thank um, you. She did say, as we heard there, an average swimmer in the pool. But what is it specifically about the open water that she found so compelling? Everything was free and changing and exciting because you never knew it was going to happen from moment to moment. In a pool, you knew pretty much that you're going to make it from one side of the pool to the next. You know the water's going to be a certain temperature. You know there'll be lane lines. You know that you'll be competing. You'll know that, you know, every Everything is sort of controlled, but with the open water, you could have dolphins swimming with you. You could have the sun rising and seeing the different colors playing on the water. You could hear the the seagulls flying overhead. You were just in a different environment and you were suddenly a part of it and there was nothing really controlled by it. You know, there are so many epic swims that she did. I didn't want to necessarily drill down on the specifics. I wanted her to tell me. So I asked her which one was the most meaningful mm. swim to her that she's done over the course of her career. And so unsurprisingly, it was swimming the cold waters of the Bering Strait in 1987. The Cold War, of course, between the U.S. and Soviet Union still going at the time. It had never been done before. And we've talked about the two islands on this show on Off Script. Mm. Surprisingly close border between these two countries. You have Little Diomede Island in the U.S state of Alaska, Big Diomede Island in the then Soviet Union, just 4.3 kilometers away. And how do you dream of such a swim? Because the water's about two to three degrees Celsius in this particular part of the world. Turns out Lynn's dad had shown her this on the map and said, maybe you want to show that the two superpowers are not the distance between D.C. and Moscow. They're actually just 2.7 miles away. And this really inspired her to take on this challenge. She set her mind to the task, even though she knew it could have been a deadly swim at those temperatures. She was very aware, acutely aware of the fact that she could die doing this swim, that it could kill her from hypothermia. She said it was the hardest swim that she'd ever had to do, and yet she did set at it with incredible determination. It took 11 years of riding to Brezhnev and drop off Chenyanko and finally getting permission from Gorbachev to swim across the Bering Strait to open up the border between the U.S. and Soviet Union and to promote peace between the two countries. And and actually, you know, it was successful. It took me two hours and six minutes to make the swim, accompanied by Inuit 
and walrus skin boats and press and all sorts of entourage from Little Dimede Island when I swam across to Big Dimede. It was incredible. And then to have us welcomed by the Soviet people with reporters from all over the Soviet Union and, and important people that had flown out there just to receive us to be there for the opening of the border. It was huge. And then to have President Gorbachev and President Reagan meeting at the White House and signing the INF Missile Treaty and having President Gorbachev acknowledge us women, say it showed how close to each other us we were and how our relations were changing. That to me was really an important part of history and an important moment in my life to realize that, you know, that we did something that was significant. Here's that specific moment uh, that Gorbachev was at the signing of the INF Missile Treaty in Washington. Last summer, it took a daring American girl by the name of Lynn Cox a mere two hours to swim the distance separating our two countries. By her courage, she showed how close to each other our two peoples live. Right. Imagine that. That's like a Tom, uh, not a Tom Hanks, a Forrest Gump moment. <laughs> you know where they painted Tom Hanks into certain scenes in the film? Okay. Uh, you know, with Richard Nixon and all that sort yeah. of stuff. That is like one of those. It's like somebody's changed the course of time, changed the course of what actually happened in history somebody and inserted jumped. Lynn in there. Yeah, somebody I just think that jumped is over that. It is amazing, isn't it? What an achievement. It? And it's not just that. I mean, things were changing around those times. Gorbachev specifically was making a lot of changes in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But the swim was a real catalyst to set things off because yeah things were opening up but you know that swim really ushered in more and more of the same it did open up relations between the u.s and the soviet union because after that swim there were airplane flights that went from alaska to the soviet far east there was openness in terms of fishing rights there was a national land park that was created there were Inuit families that had been separated because of the Cold War that were suddenly able to fly to the Soviet Far East and meet family members that they hadn't seen for years. So um, it was an exciting time. And, and actually now I think looking back, it's an example of what can be in certain times when countries want to work together and promote goodwill and peace. It's hard to imagine Inuit families being separated by this sort of yeah. War between two countries. Don't even you know, think of it, do that you? they, you know, had nothing to do with really. Yeah. But uh, but incredible that that swim was actually something that kind of changed things. It was instigated so many more changes. Now that's the most memorable swim that she said she had. The mm. one really that caught both Raj and my attention was one that happened when she was just seventeen years old, and she ended up writing a book about it called Grayson, and. For this story, we would go back to the Catalina Channel where we first started off of the coast of California. And this time she was training with the idea to break the record for both men and women. She had done that first swim when she was 14. Now, three years later, she actually wants to break the record for this specific channel when something remarkable happened. I was out there in the early morning before the sun had risen, training pretty hard. And it was a Saturday, though, and I thought, you know, I would I would finish work out quickly, get home and do my studies. But um, I was swimming and felt something very large swimming underneath me and kind of got freaked out and wanted to get out of the water. But I kept talking myself back in because I thought, you know, if you can't train and keep mentally focused during a workout, then how can you do this on a long channel swim? 
But um, this large creature kept swimming around underneath me. And so when I swam back to the Seal Beach Pier off the coast of California, I was ready to turn and swim to shore. And it turned out that there was an old fisherman that ran the bait shop on the Seal Beach Pier. And his name was Steve. And Steve came out waving at me and he started shouting that, I had a baby whale swimming around me and that he had lost his mother and I needed to stay in the ocean with him until we found his mom. So that was what <laughs> the day began that way. And um, for hours, we stayed out off the waters, off the Seal Beach Pier, looking for his mom. That's like the start of the movie as well, a movie as well, isn't it? <laughs> Just film. kind of like you can imagine Steve as this character wearing kind of like a white vest Absolutely. and kind of gruff character. Yeah, knows big, everything there beard. is to know about the sea and yeah. Yeah, weathered skin. Exactly. Yeah. Big um, hands. But I was like <laughs> Sorry. <what? laughs> Getting obsessed. Why does he how does Steve know about this this baby whale and there's a mother missing? I mean, that's a lot to piece together, isn't it? From standing on a pier. She said that he could see the whale swimming around her the whole time. And he kind of from knowing, obviously, marine life understood mm. a little bit about what had happened. And she said, I just trusted him. I was 17. He was the expert. I have no idea how you find a whale in the, the ocean. But she just trusted him. And she started swimming. Steve said, you know, the, the whale, the mother whale probably retrace her route to try to find the baby. Baby. So Lynn just set out at swimming across the whole area. She swam a mile out. She kept swimming across the area and so, was hoping that the mom would reappear. Is it worth considering that Steve might just have been having a laugh? <laughs> Talking of pranksters. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, salty old sea dog, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, wind this young girl. Fisherman. Up. Last thing he wants to see is someone splashing around in his waters, is he? So. <laughs> No, you keep going, girl. <laughs> Just keep going. Japan's that way. Keep going. <laughs> I do appreciate that American accent there. <laughs> it's slightly better than Rob's American accent. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it would be a very good prank, actually, but it was not a prank. It turns out that a lot of people got involved in this. There were Coast Guard boats. Now, they knew Lynn because she'd obviously always been out swimming. Yeah. They're getting on the radio to call people about to see if there's a large female whale in the area. Steve's on the radio. <laughs> to all to all his fishermen friends saying, you know, there's a whale, we're looking for a whale. So there's this like network of communications happening on the radio lines. Meanwhile, people are coming out on the pier to look for it, for the mother as well. The hours now at this point, Lynn's just swimming like a champ that she is. Mm. And the hours are going on and on and on. And again, we're talking about incredibly cold temperatures. Lynn starts to, starts to dawn on her that her own life now is starting to be at yeah. risk. So I asked her to Sort of talk me through the process and, and what she's going through and what she's thinking. At different times, the baby whale would dive and I would wonder, did he find his mom and swim off or am I supposed to stay here and wait for him? So there are these moments where, or basically minutes where I'm just sort of floating on the surface of the water, looking around, hoping to see a spout or something to indicate that the baby whale has found his mom. But there was nothing like that. So there's one point where I'm in four or four and a half hours into the swim where I decide that I'm really, really getting cold because I've been treading water for a long time and not really swimming and getting any heat. So I'm thinking, okay, I, I can't do this much longer because I'm going to go into hypothermia. So I start swimming back towards shore and the baby whale surfaces and somehow senses that I'm really, really tired. Um, and 
you know, after swimming all that time, you know, there, he's also, I think his energy is probably waning because he, so the way he survived is on his mother's milk at that point. And, and also he could be the problem with this whole scenario is that he could go into de- dehydration and die. So there's a sense that we've got to find his mom, but at the same time, I'm realizing that I'm reaching my limit. So he actually swims right near me like a mom whale would to let the baby whale drag and reduce the amount of energy the whale has to put out to swim. So we swim back toward the pier. And then a little while later, um, there are some children on the pier that recognize that see a spout and realize it's the mom coming for us. And so um, the mom actually swims over to us and, you know, I can't remember how to say this in meters, but she's about 45 feet long, the size of a a bus and swimming over toward me. And I'm really worried because I don't know if this animal is going to be friendly or angry that I'm near its baby. And so I sort of just stay there in the water and she uh, approaches and comes really close. And I just sort of float in the water and then she comes closer and eventually lets me touch her face, her cheek. Um, and it's just this incredible moment when I realize that, you know, she's there and is acknowledging that I've stayed with her baby and um, there's a connection that it goes on. And it's one of the most emo- amazing moments in my entire life. Tom, I'm picking up from your reaction that 45-foot whale swimming up right next to you, not the one for you. Look, I'm not the one. Anything. Anything over half a metre swimming towards me, I'm doing what everyone suggests, which is get out of the water. (laughs) I am not staying in the water. That thing's eyeball would... You're probably smaller Uh, than its diameter. Exactly. How is that? And she caressed its cheek. (laughs) Wow. Too close to the mouth for me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Might lose a hand there. We just want to wrap up this chat we've been having with Lynn Cox. She is an incredible swimmer. I mean, the things she's done, um, you know, that that we've heard about on this show that she's shared with us, but the number of records that she's done beyond that, just incredible. Her longest swim, 12 and a half hours. She did that one when she was just 14 years old. Um, We heard about how she connected with a 45-foot whale one day out in the water. Um, But, you know, one of the questions I had for her was, about swimming uninterrupted for that long. I think about the idea of even swimming for an hour uninterrupted. I don't think I could do it. I mean, my muscle would just like fatigue. I would stop. I wouldn't be able to. You just start to tread water at a point, right? So, no, if we were going to do it as a challenge, I wouldn't let you just jump straight in the water. We'd train you up. Don't worry. <laughs> But, but yeah, still, pretty, you know, yeah, yeah. just the idea, 12 hours in the water, know, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to conceive of. Um, and, you know, I asked her what keeps her going. She, t- she told me a little bit about her English Channel record that she ended mm. up setting. And she said, you know, there's so much that happens in a swim like that. There's tankers, first of all, that you have yeah. to avoid. Yeah. So you've got people with you radioing. It's like either you, especially when you're racing to break a record in terms of time, it's like, all right, you hang back and you lose some time and wait for this tanker to pass or you got to sprint and go for it. So you're dealing with that. And then she said the hardest part is actually right next to the shore the current is so strong that a lot of people get all the way there and then aren't able to do sort of the last kilometer the last sort of you know couple hundred meters basically i spoke Um, to somebody that that had happened to yeah you can see the coastline you you're literally meters away yeah but the current is so strong and you're so tired 
on on one yeah, of her you know one of her records that she did end up breaking she said you know you're like eight hours of swimming in and your coach is telling you all right there's this current coming at you you're swimming against the tide but it's now you sprint and you go for it and your muscles are fatigued and you don't know how to keep going but it's that kind of thing of you draw from somewhere you didn't know you had yeah. to get a job like that done and of course she said once you do it it's it's so worth it yeah absolutely um, it makes it all worthwhile yeah so you might be hearing seeing her story on the on the screens as well sometime soon she told me that chris carter the guy behind the x-files Oh, yeah. Is somebody who has written a script about her life. He's currently shopping it around. So we'll wait to see what happens with that. But I'm definitely intrigued by that. The screenplay for that would be brilliant. I hope it gets picked up. Yeah. Because the, just the two stories that she's told us today are unbelievably compelling. Exactly. So that film would be good. And Tom, you said that this story of Lynn has inspired you to, to watch a little bit of cinema. Yeah, you know, swimming not my thing, uh, but it does, it has sort of prompted, you know, it's got like a, a few heebie-jeebies about a couple of sort of swimming-related films that have, uh, have kept me out of the water uh, for pretty much 47 years. Uh, but one We all that, watched Jaws, Tom. We it, all got over it. It's not that open water as well. I mean, they, and it just it just keeps recurring. They keep using that theme, don't they, time <laughs> they and time do. again. They will let you forget it. it. But one that will get you in the water, maybe, or certainly um, is a masterpiece uh, of all things uh, the water, coastals, um, swimming and otherwise, is uh, The Big Blue, Le Grand Bleu. Um, 1988, Luc Besson directed, um, Jean-Marc Barr and Jean Reno, Rosanna Raquette all starred. Uh, just beautiful. It just and it, it, You've reminded me of it, um, Sonal, this, this, this evening, and I might even watch it um, if I get home in a good enough time. It's just beautiful. The best soundtrack to a film I've ever seen. Yeah. Great story, based on a true story as well. Brilliantly written, brilliantly shot. Give it a go if you haven't seen it. All right, that's quite a sell. sell. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I uh, thanks to Lynn Cox for sharing her story. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.